All right, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 7, the second half of it today. We'll see how far we get. I'm not real sure. Uh, the last two weeks have been kind of spent on the 144,000, kind of establishing the, uh, no, that probably wouldn't be too good for me, uh, establishing the idea that the 144,000, though it seems explicitly stated that these are 12,000 from different tribes of the sons of Israel, that we see this as figurative language, that the 144,000 is a figurative number. It's not a literal number as if there was only these few sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, but that this is a significant number, that it is a symbol, that it is a, um, it is a uh, figurative number that, that displays or uh, pushes or shows us an idea. And that idea meaning that the 144,000, a Diet Coke, you're going to make me go even faster. Okay. All right, I guess. Maybe they'll give us a little money. So the 144,000 we understand, or I understand, is, and some of you may disagree with me, and that's, that's perfectly fine. Many people disagree over this. It's not a close-handed issue. We don't have to divorce over it. But I see this because of all the figurative language in Revelation, and I see probably about 95% of Revelation as figurative uh, with very few instances of a literal understanding desiring to be understood from this book. He says from the outset that this is a, a book of symbols and it is meant to convey a message. And so when we read the 144,000, especially when we compare it to Revelation chapter 14, the 144,000 there and some things that he says about that, that parallel Revelation chapter 5, and we see Revelation chapter 21 where he speaks of the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem, which is very significant, coming down out of heaven to be installed onto the earth and to be recognized by everyone as the bride of Christ. We see that the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem, the true Israel, consisting of 12 gates and 12 foundations, the 12 gates of the 12 tribes and the 12 foundations of the 12 apostles, and, the, and it measures 144 stadia. And so when we see this, we see that the 12 of the old and the 12 of the new make one 144, which is the perfect number we find. 12 times 12 is 144 multiplied by 10,000 is 144,000. So we see this as a, as a figurative number that is meant to convey to us the idea of the complete people of God from all times. Whether it be from the old covenant or from the new covenant, we have one complete people of God. And when they're placed together, that perfect number of God's elect, the predestined before the foundation of the world, we see this perfect number, number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Well, Last week, I went to, to a major extent to show you that Jesus Christ is true Israel. And all who are born into his family by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, by regeneration, by new birth, are, are sons of Israel, sons of true Israel, Jesus Christ. And we went through Matthew. And Matthew really, if you've never seen that before, was that not amazing? Wasn't that beautiful? We see the recapitulation of Israel's history, and that is just a retelling of the same story through the person and work of Jesus Christ. In every way, in every shape, every form that, that Israel took and the way that they failed, Jesus succeeds. He does what they could not do. Where he broke the covenant, he, where they broke the covenant, he kept the covenant, establishing himself as the only true Israelite in the history of the world. 
as the only true Israelite in the history of the world, the only one, the only one that kept the covenant and thereby established himself as the rightful heir to the promises of God, he is the only one that can, that can give those promises to those who are born in him. And we see this time and time and time again in different ways by the, the church, the people of God that are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, being shown as the ones who fulfill Old Testament history. All the prophecies made about Israel are fulfilled in the church. It's not that the church replaces Israel, but that there, there has always been one people of God that come to God in relationship by what? Faith. That Abraham's uh, faith, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So there's always been one people of God and they've always come to God by grace, through faith, through Jesus Christ. And all the Israel in the Old Testament were only true Israel if they had faith. And Paul makes the distinctions in Romans chapter 9 very clear that not all Israel is true Israel. So as we look at the 144,000 being a figurative number that shows the perfect number of God's people, that is, now, now hang with me because what we're going to see in, uh, starting in verse 9 of chapter 7 is going to be uh, a, a sort of a revelation of or an unpacking of or a description and, and further details of who that 144,000 are. So this is going to be, the, in my opinion, this is going to be a, uh, uh, the text is going to be about the people of God from two different perspectives. One from the pr perspective of God's elect people who have been marked out from the beginning of time to be born into the family of God through true Israel, his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension to, to the throne room, that they would be born through him and thereby become true Israel, sons of true Israel. And that number is marked out from the beginning of time. Okay. Now, some people don't like that idea because they say, you're telling me that God knows exactly who are his? You mean to tell me that God has predestined before the foundation of the world those who would be, uh, be, become children of God? You mean he knows the exact number? That means he knows who's going to come and who's not going to come, and that's the way it's got to be. I just say yes. There's no other way to understand the Scripture. But I say if we dwell on that truth to the neglect of other truths, then we, then we, we degrade the Bible, we, 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 we find ourselves unbalanced, and we find ourselves in a ditch, and we find ourselves making God responsible for sin. And we can't do that either. God has a beautiful, magnificent way of leading us to see the balance of the truth of the Word of God in ways that we would never understand. Now, when I, when I unpack for you my understanding of Revelation chapter 19 verses, I mean, chap, Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 17, here's the deal. Let me just say in passing, Dustin touched on it, the turkey bags, and I just got this message that just came through, but I just want to tell you, the turkey bags, we have 200 of them. This is a huge mission effort, okay? I know I just did a parenthesis here, but let's... There's 200 turkey bags. We've given them out every year. Well, I think we did 150 the last time or somewhere around in there. There's lots of people in need in our own backyard. You may not know it, but there really are. So if you could help us, our church, through the general budget, is going to spend the money to buy the 200 turkeys. We're providing that, okay? We're providing that. If you want to donate toward that, that's great. But we're going we're gonna to do that one way or the other. What we're asking you to do is grab a bag or two or three or ten 
and go to Ingalls or Bilo, wherever, and we have a card that's, that'll be on that bag, or you can get one to go with that bag, and it'll show you all the, all the ingredients or all the um, fixings, the things that need to go in that bag. If you'll make up two or three or four bags, whatever you can afford, whatever God lays on your heart, bring them back to the church. What we'll do is we'll get pallets of turkeys, and we'll put a turkey with a bag, and we'll give it out. And it's amazing. If you've not been here before, there'll be people lined up out the door coming to get Thanksgiving dinners, and we supply all the stuff, okay? And then if we have any left over, we, make a, we bum rush the community. And we go to all the apartment complexes, the back streets, Columbus. Well, we, we went to Columbus, Emmon, Landrum, Campobello, all over the place, and we just give to people. And you'd be amazed. They invite us into our, their homes. We pray for them. We love on them. We proclaim the gospel right there. But if nothing else, we'll meet a physical need so that maybe we can build that relationship to meet the spiritual need. Okay? So lots of bags out here. We need you guys. There's 200 people in the room, I'm fairly certain. So if you could just do that. See? Oh, coats. If you have any used coats that are in good shape, uh, or if you want to go get a couple of coats, we always give out coats, too, as they come through, if they need them. Okay, so coats and turkeys, or coats and bags, rather. Okay, back to the text. All right, so, so we see this idea that uh, if we lean too hard, that pre- I have people ask me all the time, you mean you believe in that predestination stuff? Well, the Bible, I mean, the words in the Bible, I think it's like 18 times in the New Testament. I can't get away from it. I don't know, what you, I don't know why people ask me that. Yes, I believe in predestination. It's in the Bible very clearly. Can't get away from it. But now what does that mean? Does that mean you just believe God sends people to hell just because he wants to? No. We've got to read the rest of the Bible as well. So the truth is, is that God has predestined before the foundation of the word, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, in love, he's predestined them to, be, uh, to become heirs to the throne, to become children of God. He has called them. He knows who's his. He won't let a one of them go. He's going to come get them. But now, do we know who they are? No, we don't have a clue. He's, pre- he's predestined you just like he's predestined them as the means by which they might get saved. So you got to go. you got to proclaim the gospel that they might come into the presence of God, that they might get born again. And how do we know who they are? We don't know who, the, who they are. How do we know how many there are? Are there 144,000? Seems like there might be 144,000 that are sealed. What's the seal? The seal is very plainly laid out for us in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, is that the seal is the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our hope. So is 144,000 going to, going to have the seal and the rest of them just have to fend for themselves? No, may it never be. That there is, a, there is an endless number. When, when God promised Abraham in the Old Testament, what did he say? I will make you a, a, a blesser. All nations will be blessed through you. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And they will be countless as the sand on the seashore. Sure. Seashore. <laughs> she sells seashells by the seashore. <laughs> They will be countless, right? Now, I've not even got into the text, but it seems as if what he's telling Abraham and the promise of Abraham was is that he would make Abraham and his offspring, remember Galatians chapter 3, who is the offspring, and he made a big deal not to make that plural. He said, I'm not speaking of offsprings, plural, but I'm speaking of offspring. Who is the offspring of Abraham? Jesus Christ is the offspring. He is the seed. And through the seed would be blessed all nations, all tongues, every tribe, every nation, right? And they would be as countless as the sands on the seashore. 
Well, here we see this, this same people from two different perspectives. On the one hand, they're numbered. We know exactly how many there are, and we know how they become true Israel, and we know exactly who, who is going to come to Christ. That is, all who believe and have faith in him. We know exactly those who receive the seal. And he tells us this in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, and what he says is, is that these who are sealed will be able to make it through the tribulation. He never said they will be able to escape the tribulation, but only that they will make it through the tribulation by the seal of the Holy Spirit, by the seal of God that would hold back the four winds of the earth from killing them. Amen? Now, who are these people? Let's get into the text. Let's, let's stand as I read the Word of God, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Let's stand to our feet in reverence of God's Word. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every uh, nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and uh, from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. So, so much in here, and yet so little time. Let's just go uh, until we don't have time to go anymore, or until every one of you are asleep. So here, let's start out with the first two words, because we've already done a lot of work on this phrase. In verse 9, he says, after going through the 144,000, naming the different tribes and so on and so forth, he says again in, 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 chapter, in verse 9, he says, after this I looked and behold... Now, I don't have time to go to all the other instances where this type of formula is, 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 is displayed or is used, but I will tell you this, multiple times in Revelation, John sees a vision and then he hears the interpretation of that vision or vice versa. It happens both ways. He hears a vision or he hears something and then he sees the interpretation of that thing or he sees the details of that thing. Many times throughout Revelation, this same formula applies. We've already seen in uh, chapter 7 verse 1 that the after this I think we established fairly certainly that it could not mean after this is, is, as, as, it, as it pertains to time sequence or sequence of events did we establish that already we said that the after this in verse 1 of chapter 7 could not mean that this was an event that happened after the events of chapter 6 why? Because what is in chapter 7 is the sealing and the protection of the saints that we find going through tribulation in chapter 6. 
So if chapter 7, if the vision in chapter 7 comes after in time sequence, those uh, events in chapter 6, then it doesn't make any sense. How can he protect them from something that's already happened? So we said that it must mean that chapter 7 is answering the last question of chapter 6 when he says in chapter 6, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? He is telling us who can stand the tribulation in chapter 6. He is telling us who can stand these four winds and these four horsemen of the apocalypse, this tribulation. He is telling us that those who have been sealed by God, the 144,000 that have been sealed by God, will be able to stand through through the tribulation. Now, that's not to say that they will escape it, but that they will be able to stand through it. Amen? That they will be able to, uh, to, to hold out in Christ Jesus. Now, they may die physical deaths, but that they will be raised up on the last day and thereby be vindicated by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've, they've received the seal of the Holy Spirit. They will make it through the tribulation. Amen? So we understand that, the, that the, the after this in verse 1 actually is saying, after this, I had another vision. Not in time sequence, but it was actually before. The vision that he had after the vision of chapter 6 was a vision that was a prequel to chapter 6. It showed him what would happen before chapter 6 in order to help them to stand through what would happen in chapter 6. Does everybody understand that? It's significant. Does that make sense? It was like the, it was like the prequel to that movie. If, if chapter 6 was a movie, chapter 7, 1 through 8 would be the prequel. It would show you what happened before that happened in order to help them to stand. Well, chapter 7 is very, I mean, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17 is very similar. This 140, so after this, after chapter 6, after this, I saw four angels standing at the corners of the earth holding back the four winds. So he shows us how they are going to stand through chapter 6. Well, then he goes on to to describe to us the 144,000, the 12,000 of each tribe, and so on and so forth. And and let me just point out this in passing, that the list of tribes found in Revelation chapter 7 is completely unique to the Bible. We've never seen that list before in the Bible, and I think that's absolutely significant. I don't have time to go into it, but I would say it's significant for two reasons. One, it shows us that that it is not who everyone thought it was from the Old Testament who are the sons of Israel, who are true Israel, but it is a a people that only God knew. So it's not by ethnicity, it's not by uh, deserving or anything else, but it's by the seal of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that he would mark out who was his. And that's, that's only for him to know. Two, Judah is at the head of this list, the first uh, mentioned in this list, and he's never mentioned first in a list. He's mentioned first a couple of times as they're talking about some tribes, but the only times he is mentioned first is when he is mentioned as the one through whom the Messiah King would come in order to, check this, in order to bless all the nations, that every tribe, tongue, and nation would be blessed through the coming king that would come from the tribe of Judah. Do you remember what chapter 5 of Revelation taught? That no one was found to open the scroll except one that came, the line of the tribe of Judah. 
This list is to, is to signify that Jesus Christ is the line of the tribe of Judah who would save a people that only he knows, a perfectly numbered people that Jesus Christ would save because he is the reigning king, the king that came from the tribe of Judah. The last thing I want to point out as we move in, because this is going to be significant, is that the only other times in the Old Testament that tribes are listed this way when it says a certain number from this tribe, a certain number from this tribe, a certain number from this tribe, is when an army is being raised up. They would say, so many thousand from this tribe was in the army. So many thousand men from this tribe was, was being placed in the army. So many thousands of men. So what we have here is a people of God that is being raised up from every tribe. And this is before we even get to chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. It's if we stay consistent with the text and we see that what we get here is a list of those who are truly sons of Israel and he knows the perfect number of them that only God can know. Those who have been raised up by Jesus Christ who is the coming Messiah King from the, the line of the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Judah. And he is putting together an army of all those. The army consists of those who have been sealed by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. So this is a perfectly numbered people saved by the King, the line of the tribe of Judah, perfectly numbered as an army being, being uh, raised up in order to do war for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see all that. I'm not just making that up, okay? We see all of that here. Well, let's just look and see what he says in the coming verses about this 144,000. Because if we stay consistent in contextual meaning, what we see is the after this in chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, is the same as the after this in chapter 7, verse 1. So chapter 7, verse 1 after this tells you and explains chapter 6. The after this in, in verse 9 of chapter 7 tells you and explains the first part of chapter 7. So he lays out the people of God, and then he says, After this I looked, and behold. Very significant. This is the formula that he uses in order to explain the visions that he's had before. Same principle applies here. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So right away, we don't have anything set in stone or explicitly mentioned that would uh, clarify or prove what I've been saying to you. But as we go through, if we allow the Scripture to interpret the Scripture and we allow the, the Scripture to have its own meaning, what we will start to see is that this has to be the same group of people of the 144,000, only from a different perspective. So from one perspective, we're looking at the 144,000, the people of God, and we're saying they're perfect number who knows he knows exactly who they are and exactly what he intends for them to do but from another perspective we're looking at this same number we're saying they're as vast as the sand on the seashore there are numberless people that stretches from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth and who are these people it's a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. These people have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are crying out that salvation is from God. These people are the people who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we either have to say that there are two groups of people saved in two different ways, or that there's one group of people that are saved in the same way, but we're looking at this same group from different perspectives. What other seal could there possibly be? Is there another group of people who have been altogether different and for different reasons saved called the 144,000? Is this some strange idea that we've never seen in Scripture, the delineation or the, 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 the separation of peoples based on merit or worth? 
based on some partial understanding or desire from God to set them apart because of a bloodline? Do we understand that people are saved and sealed because of the blood that runs through their veins? Or do we understand all throughout Scripture that there's one name given under heaven by which man can be saved, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's only one name given that which man can be saved. We see that however you hold that this is a group of people who have been washed in the, in the blood of Jesus Christ, that they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, this is just on the fly. I didn't, put, I didn't really think about doing this, but I want you to turn back to uh, Revelation chapter 3, and I want you to see something with me now. Revelation chapter 3, right around verse 8 right here. Uh, the Lord just brought this to my mind, and I want to show you something right here if I'm right in this. Listen to what it says. This is so good. <clears throat> Verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews, and they are not. You see, there are some who, who claim to be Jews because of ethnicity, but, but the writer of uh, Revelation, John, here says, no, some people claim to be Jews, but they are not really Jews. Not because of ethnicity, but because of their testimony and what Jesus Christ means to them. Uh, that those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews or not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who, will, who dwell on the earth. Who do you think these people are? They're the same people from Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, that have been sealed by the Holy Spirit that will make it through the tribulation. It is the answer to chapter 6, who can stand? It are these who can stand, those who do not deny the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Those who will not deny Jesus Christ will not be denied by Jesus Christ. Amen? That is how we are saved. That is how we stand in the day of trial. Listen to what he says. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have. So, and we know he's talking to the church here. We know he's talking to Gentiles. And let me just define what a Gentile is. Maybe some of you don't know. Is that a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. <laughs> there's Jews and there's Gentiles, historically speaking. Those who are not Jews are Gentiles. Just to make that clarification. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him a new name, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. He will receive a new name. His name will be the name of, the, of his God, the name of the new Jerusalem. He is the new Israel, the true Israel, who will be proven by the blood of Jesus Christ. But listen, it goes on. Which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, he's already told this to the church, not to Jews because of ethnicities, but because of those who are true Jews, those who are truly born in the family of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. We see here a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. 
Amen. Then he goes on to another section. You see what happens when we see that God is, is, is raising up a great multitude, that Jesus Christ is not just saving a certain number of people from a certain nation because of a certain bloodline, but he is saving all of those who would come to him by faith through the blood and the work, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. You see, you don't have to meet a bunch of expectations. You don't have to have a certain bloodline. You don't have to, to, to do all of these works. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore you'll be saved. You see, Jesus Christ did the work of atonement. He kept all of God's righteous commandments and decrees. He kept all of the covenant uh, uh, stipulations, and, and he kept all of these things in order to secure for his people the covenant blessings that's been promised from day one. In Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. <coughs> Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know how to say it, but there is no other way that you can please God. There is no other way that you can enter into a relationship with God except the blood-atoning work of Christ on the cross. That is the only way. And when we see this truth, we erupt in praise and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. You see, this is the attitude. This is what God, uh, God's presence and the truth of God should draw out of us. So many of us, so many of us, we come to the truth of God and we come to Christ and we're so half-hearted about it. We're so calloused to the, the word of God. We're so calloused to the presence of Jesus Christ that we can even come in here with other fellow believers and the Spirit become, becomes so thick and so rich in the place that you cannot deny it and we're still like this. It's very telling. It's very telling. Not that I would condemn or anybody else should, con should condemn but that we should fall on our faces pleading for your soul. Because there is not a, a true born-again believer that can stand in the presence of God and not shout. Because Jesus Christ said, if you will not shout, if you will not praise, if you will not honor, then I will raise up the rocks and trees to cry out. You say you're getting a little emotional, feely, touchy stuff. That's not the evidence. Well, it kind of is. Part of it. Obedience to God's commands, the law of Christ love of God's word, love for man, worship, crying out, praise. All of this is evidence that one has been truly born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, sealed for the day of redemption. And I'll tell you this, I've had a lot of people tell me that that old predestination stuff, that's unloving. <coughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. I'll debate with any man in here, any woman in here, if you want to try to say that predestination is an unloving doctrine. No, it's not. You want to tell me it's unloving for God to have, who have known, Fred, for, to have known you from the, from the minute of your thought? Not even from your birth, brother, but before you were knitted together in your mother's womb, he knew you. That's the most loving doctrine I've ever heard of. It's just painted in, a, painted in an ugly light, like it's limiting or something, and maybe it is. But it's not limiting because God is slow uh, to love or that God is less loving. 
only limited because man won't come. They, they have chosen already, and they've chosen the darkness over the light. They hate him. You see, the fact that God has predestined some from the foundation of the world, and he would not let them turn away is the most loving doctrine I can ever think of. Because what that means is that everybody is vile, wretched, putrid, and just disgusting. But God, in his great love and his, his grace and his mercy, saw fit before the foundations of the world that he would come after you, and he wouldn't let you run away. I hear people say, I want my choice. Well, you know what your choice is? Hell. For all have, have, have gone astray. There are none righteous. No, not one. All have gone astray. There are none who seek him. The only reason that you've ever come to God is because he came after you. And he was fast enough to chase you down and knock your legs out from under you and rip out your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He wouldn't let you get away. And this morning, if you're feeling the call of God, go ahead and surrender. You're not that fast. You can't escape. I'm telling you right now. See, that's why people say, why you preach with such boldness? Because I know if you're meant to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't escape the gospel that I proclaim. And it ain't because it's mine. You can preach with the same boldness. I don't preach my word. I preach the word of God. And when I lay down the word of God, people get saved because God wants them to get saved. Not because I did a good job, but because they were determined, destined, predestined before the foundations of the world. Now, how many is that a number that we can't even count? Who can come? You mean some can't come? No. All who would choose him can come. <laughs> you see what I just did there? Who can choose him? All that will. Revelation chapter 3, whomsoever will, come. Whomsoever will, come. If you're hearing the voice of God today calling you, then obviously you can come to him because he is calling you. Come today. You see, this is a great truth. And, and when we behold this truth, when we see that he had marked us out before the day that we was born, we never have to worry again about whether or not we're truly children because we didn't do it and we can't undo it. You rest in the sovereignty of God. You rest in His sovereign, powerful hand. And, and I use the term hand on purpose because Jesus Christ said, All that the Father has given to me, they will come to me, and I will not lose not one of them. Nobody can snatch them out of my hand. Woo! Who, Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Death, life, angels, Powers above, powers below, heights or depths. No! Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You can't take yourself out of God's hand. You see, we see this 144,000. We see this from, a, from an expansion view. And we look down and we say, well, God knows exactly who there are. But we're looking at them going, look at all the people of God. You see, we oftentimes think that we're the only ones, Right? We oftentimes think, think that, that we're the only ones do, going through this. We're the only ones. God, why are, you, why are you letting me do this? And there's no one left, not even one. God, I'm the only one left. Just kill me now. We see Elijah did that, didn't he? He sat down up under the broom tree and he said, God, just kill me now. I'm the only one left. I'm the only true saint. Kill me now. And God's, in my paraphrase, is like, you idiot, I've got 7,000 right over there. 
we're never alone. One, God is always with us. But two, God has an innumerable number that he is working out their salvation right now. That God is at work in us and through us to bring about the kingdom of God. And things you're doing that you don't even know is building the kingdom of God as you're just obedient to the king. And that's what I want to show you right here. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who is raising up for himself an army. He is. He is gathering together through the, the, the true sons of Israel. He is gathering them together. And he is raising up an army. An army that would do war with the earth. An army that would do war with sin. An army that would do war with decay and, and sadness. All things that are, are happening that are just horrible. He is doing, undoing rather, through you. You see, we see this in the text when he says, 12,000 from this tribe tribe 12,000 from this tribe 12 from this tribe and so on and so forth we get the idea that he's raising up an army well here he shows us again that this is an army that's not just 144,000 but this is an army that's that's innumerable that that is uh, that is immeasurable like the sands of the seashore and we see that as we move on down it says and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then it says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. Where do we know that from? Come on now. Yes. Who said that? I love you, Randy Watner. Let's turn over to Ezekiel. Chapter 37. Boom. I hear you, though. King Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 37. Listen to this. <clears throat> now, this is right after he is taking out their heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, that he will write his laws on their hearts and cause them to walk in his ways and his statutes in chapter 36. Listen to what he said. The, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley of dry bones. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy, speak the word, prophesy, speak the word, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. The same word uh, breath uh, is the same word that's used for the spirit. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them, there was no spirit in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. Come from where? The four winds. Do we remember Revelation chapter one, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8? Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I shall put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You see how the book of Ezekiel draws the last half of chapter 7 and the first half of chapter 7 together? This is the whole house of Israel that is an innumerable great army that is being risen up, raised up in order to do the work of God. Whew. If that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white? white robes and from where have they come here's another evidence you say this man's just making stuff up this is maybe the greatest evidence that i can show you that the people of uh, chapter 7 9 through 17 are the same people of chapter 7 verses 1 through 8 listen to what he says you got to listen carefully then one of the elders addressed me saying who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. You see it? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now let me put the nail in it. When the lamb, this is chapter 8. Now, we're not going to look at chapter 8 today, but I need to show you something. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, the seventh seal was the perfect judgment of God, the wrath of God. Now, Lord, help me to explain this like you've shown it to me. He asked the question, who are these people? And the angel tells him, these are the ones coming out of the tribulation. Now, who are the ones that God will help stand through the tribulation that they might come out of it? The ones who are sealed, which are how many? 144,000. There's our first clue. You cannot come through the tribulation without the seal. So those who are coming through the tribulation are the same ones that were sealed. The 144,000. But, but wait, there's more. Chapter 6 said this is chapter 7, verses 9 through 17 is the fulfillment of chapter 6. Watch what he says. When he opens the fifth seal, look at verse 9 of chapter 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. We know that's believers. Robert preached a very good message on that, and he showed that these are believers, those who have been uh, under the blood of Christ, under the altar. He did a very good job. These are believers, okay? These are also the ones who are in the tribulation. 
But listen to what it says. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe, just like the others. Just like the others. They were given a white robe, and told to rest a little longer until the number of their, their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, what he's telling them is, is that there is, a group who, there is a group of people who have been martyred. And these are believers, Jews and Gentiles alike. Those who have been killed because of the word of their testimony and their obedience to God's word, these are believers. And they ask, when will our blood be uh, vindicated? When will you pour out judgment on all the earth dwellers? And he says, you've got to wait a little while until, the fellow, until your fellow believers, your fellow brothers, until your brothers have come in in the full number like you have and then judgment. Well, what happens in chapter 7? We see that they are sealed. This group of people are sealed so that they can make it through the tribulation, that they would be uh, killed just like these other ones, but that they would make it through because they've been sealed. I believe the seal of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. And then that number of 144,000 is described in the second part of chapter 7. And it says that these are those who have been raised up. These are those who have been uh, uh, murdered. These are those who have been uh, poured out on. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have been killed. They have been martyred. They have, they have been uh, persecuted beyond belief. And when they they are uh, saw to be done. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. When these have come in, this great multitude has come in, and they have made it through. They have made it through. Then the judgment happens in chapter 8. This is the fulfillment of chapter 6, verses 9. This is telling about those who would come into God's presence and would stand true through the tribulation, that would stand true through all the persecution. These are the same people. There's only one people of God. There's only one seal of God. And all those who are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the shed blood of the Lamb will make it through the tribulation. If not physically, they will make it spiritually. And in the end, they will be vindicated by the blood of Christ and they will receive a new body and thereby they will stand with their crowns on their heads vindicated by the Lord Jesus Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realm you see these are the ones in chapter 6 these are the ones who are sealed so that they can make it through the tribulation these are the ones that have been born again of the family of God these are true Israel. Well, let's look at their response, and the, and the band can come on up. We're drawing it to an end here. He says, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This Ezekiel, this, 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 throwback to or this quoting of Ezekiel shows us that the Israel that was raised up in Ezekiel 37 is the same as the multitude that is raised up in Revelation chapter 7. It's the same people. This great multitude 
is Israel. This, this really creates huge problems for our dispensational brothers because we see clearly here that this is the great multitude from every tribe, every tongue, every nation is the fulfillment of Israel's history. They are the people. They are the whole house of Israel. These are the people of God. And what is the breakout? What is the song? It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, God is not only raising up an army. He is not only raising up an army, but he is also comforting a people. He is also comforting a people. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I've had conversations with many of you, that there are lots in here that you are, in a, you are not in a place of conquering, but a place of seeming, seemingly being conquered. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, I want to tell you that you, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of the one true king, though it may look dire right now, Though it may be bleak and though it may be dark and though you may be with John, a partaker in the tribulation even now, though it may just be horrible in your life, though you may think that you are, you are in persecution like you've never seen before, I want to tell you right now that the whole book of Revelation was written in order to encourage those who are going through trials and going through tribulations and being persecuted to look at them and say, fear not, my child, because even if you go through the dark darkest of days, even if they take your very life, even if it gets as hard as you can possibly imagine, fear not for I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I have known you before you were ever even a fault in your parents' mind. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know every hair on your head. I know exactly who you are and I knew you before you ever started and I will not lose you. There is no more fear. No more fear. And you see the way that this is the irony of it. The last will be first and the first will be last in the kingdom of God. So you say, how can I raise up and be an army? How can I be a soldier? You know, I just feel broken and dead. Well, let me tell you something. The way that we conquer is the way that Jesus conquered. And that's what Revelation reveals. He said the way we win wars is not to punch people in the face and shoot them with M16s. But it's that we are to get punched in the face and get shot by him 16s because Jesus Christ in his death in his death secured our life and in our death and persecution in our suffering in our in our betrayal in our persecution in our beheading Jesus will be honored and glorified you see the church has always been built on the back of the martyrs. You say, you may hear this message and you may be like, let's go change the world. <laughs> I hope you are. I hope you do. But just know that the way we change the world is like this. It's not like this. It's like this. Washing feet. Cutting grass. giving our money away being run over run down drove into the dirt 
and saying, glory to God. It's not my temple anyway. I belong to another. Take it up with him. You see, Ruth lay at Boaz's feet. Women, women of God. It was when she laid at his feet that he raised her up. Woo. Redeemed her. Gave her back every ounce of worth that she had traded. That she had given. See, she laid down at his feet and he said, basically he said, what you doing down there, girl? Come up here with me. He did it through the word of God. You see, only when we get down on our face will, be, will, will, we, will we be raised up onto our feet. And, it, and this doesn't breed pride. Because you know what these same elders do with their crowns? They're giving crowns. White robes. And when they come into the presence of Jesus Christ, they throw them off at his feet. They hit their face and they say, unworthy. This is what changes the world. Humility. Presence. Love for God. A mind for other people. Lord, help me. That's not my strong suit. My wife helps me, though. We've been learning the dignity and worth of a woman and the created value of a woman and and what God has called her to. And I've not had a greater appreciation in my life for my wife than putting this stuff together. And I've started to recognize that, as Tom Cruise said, you complete me. Are you going to say, you had me at hello? You say, why do you bring that up here? Well, it's because we can't think of ourselves as, it's just completely opposite. That's how we get into chauvinism. That's how our relationships get unbalanced. That's how women just get torn down, broken down, defeated, and abandoned. Because we see them as second-rate citizens. And, you know, that's why we abandon ourselves many times, too. That's why we abandon ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ, though that's never what it taught. The, the gospel of Christ doesn't say you have to be at a certain level. No. It says that Jesus Christ, who was found in the form of God, humbled himself to the, and took on the, the form of a, of a servant, even to the point of death. And by this, it was he granted to have a name that is above every name. You want to be somebody? You want to you do something in this world that's going to make a difference? You've got to be willing to lay down on somebody's feet. You've got to be willing to love that woman. You've got to be willing to love that man. You want to change that man? I had, a, I had a lady ask me today a very good question. I've thought about it many times. What if my husband isn't, isn't deserving of my submission? Your submission to your husband has nothing to do with him. Your submission to your husband has everything to do with God and how much you love God and how much you are willing to be made a fool of in order to do what God has called you to do. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, by your loving, kind submission and your grace, you will win him back, even if he's an unbeliever. Listen, guys, I'm not trying to take anything away from you. I'm trying to learn too. It's only when I humble myself and when I get down on my face and when I crawl to, to say, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I... How can I how can I be what you need me to be today in order that you might see Christ and all that he is? You've got to be Jesus, people. 
I gotta be Jesus. I gotta love that woman. I gotta love my fellow man. I gotta love my kids. You see, the reason that this fits right here, and I guess the reason that the Lord laid it, I don't have notes. I don't do notes. So I think that the reason led us down this little rabbit hole here is this. In order to be the army of God, we have to be sealed by God. And in order to be sealed by God, there had to be a death. A death of the one true king, God Almighty, who made himself as nothing, taking the form of a servant, even to the point of death. And as he conquered, so shall we. You want to be an army of the living God, then you must receive Christ and you must be conformed to the image of Christ. You want to transform this community? You want to stop the drug dealers? Nicky Pierce, if he's in here, that man taught me something this week. We cannot go out into this community thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whip you into shape, boy. I'm going to teach you something. No. We must come and say, how can I serve you today? How can I love you today? How can I pray for you today? I don't need to teach you how to be like me. I need to teach you exactly what Jesus did for me. I got to get down on my knees and I got to say, brother, I love you. I got to get down on my knees and say, I'm willing right now to humble myself, to, to tear down my pride, to let it be of nothing, to embarrass myself in order to show you exactly what Jesus did for me. We will only conquer the way he conquered. Our weapons are not of this world. They are not of this world, but they are of the Spirit of God. As we all stand to our feet, I want to I wanna just tell you I love you. And sometimes I can come across pretty harsh and pretty tough. You know, my wife is teaching me that too. She is really my helpmate. She's my, she really does complete me. I know it's kind of a joke, but she really does. Like... My wife, oftentimes after the service, I'll go and I'll ask her, I'll say, what'd you think? You know, is there a better way I could have said it? And oftentimes she said, well, you could have said this same thing a different way. And I bet people have, would have accepted it. You know, after reflection on it, I'm like, you know, that's right. You know why? Because she's got, a, she's got a, a soft heart. She's got a big heart and I can just be mean sometimes. So I need her. And she needs me because sometimes she can be too soft. As Rocky Balboa said, you got spots, I got spots, y'all. Together we make people, you know? Let's be who God's called us to be. Don't, don't try to be somebody or not. Don't try, to, don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to be, don't try to be great. Try to be the least of these. As John the Baptist says, I must decrease so that he might increase. Being a warrior of God and an army of God just means that you're sealed and you can hold on to the very end and glorify God as you are persecuted to the, to the nth degree here on earth. As we do this last worship song, I want to open it up for invitation here. Some of you are going through some trials and some struggles and you don't really know why. But today I'm telling you that you don't have to go through it on your own and you don't have to go through it as a purposeless, painful experience. That the whole book of Revelation is teaching that God is going to use those things in order to do great and wonderful, mighty things. Just allow Him to use it. Suffering is bad. Suffering with no purpose is horrible. But suffering with a purpose is manageable by Jesus Christ, who is going to do great things and vindicate every single child of God. Come. Come to the King.